right? Hopefully this is working. Um, so welcome to our last seminar. So do you guys remember anything that we've learned before? Has anybody put any of the stuff into practice? Mm -hmm. Yes? Like, like, what did you do, John? Uh, <laughs> the budgeting. I'm really good at budgeting <coughs> now. budget at a certain amount percentage mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. and to first track actually that was very important I didn't I didn't track the <coughs> spending at first yeah. so that was mm -hmm. something I picked up yeah okay. did it surprise you yeah I pretty much don't have savings <laughs> 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 that was very much my finding oh, yeah. okay that's yeah. interesting mm -hmm. okay good so budgeting is really the foundation of what we're going to talk about today um, saving and investing so Obviously, budgeting, like you're, you're looking at your expenses, your fixed and discretionary expenses. You're also looking at your long-term savings as well as your short-term savings when you're giving, right? So that's really important. Um, so I just wanted to uh, review those five principles um, that we talked about before. And this is kind of our guide, again, to financial decision-making, including investing and savings. So, um, so the first one is we need to be wise stewards of our finances. Uh, number two, uh, don't hoard your money, but give generously to those in need. Number three, God wants us to work hard and have an attitude of excellence. And number four, we need to love our neighbor by not being a burden to them. And number five, money should not be a hindrance in our love for God and others. So a recent poll in Canada uh, concludes that about two-thirds of Canadians actually don't make savings a priority. And despite the fact that 85% of these Canadian surveys aren't saving enough, 82% admitted that saving would be possible if they cut back in certain areas. So, in fact, can Canadians, on average, can save another $360 a month without feeling the pinch. So, if you break that down, that works out to $12 a day. So if you take $12 a day, that's like eating lunch out maybe for the day, right? And you take that, that's $360 a month. And you took that over 12 months. So over a year, you're actually saving $4,320. And then over 20 years, that's $86,400. And if you invested into something that yielded a 5% compounded return, that would be $146,685. So just $12 a day when you're not eating out, that will save you like maybe three to five years worth of your retirement expenses for your, your retirement. That's pretty amazing, right? Just a small illustration like that. So really, can we come up with $12 a day, right? Um, so, the study also says that better saving habits are critical to ensuring that Canadians can retire and withstand personal emergencies. So for example, 79% of Canadians aged 35 to 54 are concerned they won't have enough money to retire at an age of their choosing, and 53% said that they would use credit or borrow from their friends or family if they were confronted with an emergency of $1,000. That's pretty sad, right? If you just had a $1,000 emergency, you need to borrow on your credit or borrow from friends or family, right? So remember our, our principles of being wise stewards of our finances and also uh, loving our neighbor by not being a burden to them? That's the reason why we need to save so that we can plan for the unexpected as well as the expected and not rely on others to bail us out. So, quick question. What kinds of things are you guys saving for? Are you saving for anything at all? Vacation. Vacation, <laughs> yeah. Sure, we all need a vacation once in a while. I found out in, so I was re reading the engineering report at my building. So in 12 years, we have to redo all of the windows and the doors. 
and that will cost about I think a total of about five million for the whole building, yeah. which will work out to twenty thousand dollars per unit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And whether you live in a condo or a house, there's gonna be something that needs to be repaired. Like in a house, your roof might start leaking or your furnace breaks down. Like those things cost like thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. So it's always good to have some money extra saved up for those kinds of things. So good. Um, so some of those things are discretionary, like a vacation. Some of those things are pretty much like, you should count it like almost like a fixed uh, savings because it will come. Like you, you do need to replace those things eventually on your building, right? So uh, we certainly need to save for those kinds of things. So um, and during the previous seminars, I talked about having three to six months worth of your income as emergency saving precisely for those things like your condo needs a major ass uh, assessment or uh, the furnace breaks down or the car needs a major repair or even if something happened to your job like you got laid off or you got fired uh, or something happens your, your company goes belly up maybe you just you, you, uh, will be out of work for a few months so um, it's always a good idea to have that kind of money saved up for you for yourself right so I recommend that you try building up uh, an emergency fund for yourself. Just start by doing an automatic savings plan. So maybe every every paycheck you might want to save 100 or $200 or whatever, or anything like 50 bucks, whatever you can afford, put this into a savings plan. Like um, you can contact your financial institution or maybe you can set it up online and you should be able to do a fixed amount every time or during your paycheck. That would be probably the easiest way. And that can go into a high interest savings account, um, and after a while, it could go into a redeemable term deposit from the GIC. Um, so that that gives you some interest, but it also allows you to take it out in case you need it. Okay. Um, so a term deposit or GIC or guaranteed investment certificate. You guys know what that is. So it's just a, a set amount that you put in, you put into this investment. It's for a set period of time, and it gives you a set interest rate. Okay. So normally, um, maybe like a thousand dollars for a minimum that you can put in, but certain institutions may allow you a, a smaller amount to put into that. Um, we at Westminster Savings, we do have a special term called an accumulator term deposit. So it allows you to um, put like hundred or two hundred dollars per paycheck or whatnot and put it into this term deposit and you're actually getting term deposit rates currently it's at 1.7 percent you put it in for a year and it matures and will give you the interest and you can continue on putting money into it but it allows you to take it out if you have an emergency will allow you to take it out that you won't get any interest but at least you can take it out and, and use the money um, should an emergency happen so we have short-term goals like maybe getting a new car or maybe saving for a wedding or something like that. So if your goal is within one to three years, that's considered short-term, okay? So term deposits <coughs> or GICs would be a good way to save for those short-term goals mm -hmm. because your principal is guaranteed and uh, you're not gonna lose the money. Um, so regular term deposits, or GICs usually require, like I said, about $1,000 minimum to put into this term. Um, and you'll get the small re return on your investment. So these days you're probably looking at 1% to 2%, something like that. So it's not going to earn a lot for you right now, but at least, you know, over the next few years, you know, your, your, your money's going to be there when you need it for that short-term goal. Um, so we may also have medium-term goals like uh, maybe saving for a down payment or something like that. Um, when I say medium term goals, this would be a three to five year time horizon, okay? So for these goals with this time horizon, I would recommend putting your money into maybe some very conservative mutual funds. Um, does, anyone, does anyone know what a mutual fund is? Yes, do you know a comment? So it's a professionally managed investment fund that is available uh, to the public and it's regulated. It's sold to the public on a daily basis 
and it's just pools of money that uh, investors use to purchase securities. So securities would be stocks or bonds mainly. Does anybody know what a stock is? Trade uh, the stock market. Probably. Yes. So it is. You're just buying ownership into a company that is traded on the stock market. So that's a, that's a very simple definition of a stock. And then a bond. Does anybody know what a bond like, is? Like uh, some company or government lends money. I need to borrow money, so they issue bonds, and then you can, the public can buy and then receive interest at the end. That's right. Exactly. That's a great explanation. So bonds are less risky than stocks. There's still a little bit of risk. So generally, if you're investing in a conservative fund, mostly it's in bonds. Okay. Um, so. Basically, um, yeah, bonds are less risky because also in the case of bankruptcy, if a company actually goes bankrupt, the bondholders will get paid out first, and then the stockholders if there's anything left. And a lot of times there isn't anything left when you're buying a stock, so it could go down to zero dollars. So I don't recommend that you guys just go out and buy individual stocks or bonds unless you have like maybe $100,000 or more. And the reason why I say that is then you can build a more diversified portfolio, like ideally something that has different companies in it, in different industries, and even in different countries. Okay. Um, so, so the definition of diversification according to Investopedia is a risk management technique that mixes a wide variety of investments within a portfolio. The rationale behind this technique is that a portfolio constructed of different kinds of investments will, on average, yield higher returns and pose a lower risk than any individual investment found within a portfolio. So for smaller investors like the majority of us, it's best to buy mutual funds because when you buy one mutual fund, it's going to have at least 25 to 200 or more different types of securities within that fund. So, um, oh, about that. Okay. so the advantages of mutual funds is that, number one, there's a professional money manager who's called a fund manager or a portfolio manager, and they go and analyze all uh, the company's financial statements. They may even visit the companies and talk with the managers in the company and they'll like go through and look at the operations of the company and determine if this is a good company to invest in. So they do all the background for you. So that's what you're paying them for, right? Um, and then of course number two is <coughs> diversification that we just talked about. And number three is economies of scale. So that occurs when there are many different, many individual investors that pull their money together and um, the money managers can trade more economically than if it was just an individual investor. And also some investments are only available for large institutional investors and not to individual investors. So that's economies of scale. And lastly, mutual funds are fairly liquid and they're fairly flexible. So in case you really have an emergency, you could take up the money um, fairly easily and you can also take out a set amount of dollars, like if you need 5000 they'll give you exactly 5000 where if you're just buying a, a stock, you have to sell a certain number of stocks, it may not give you exactly what you need. And then um, there's also disadvantages of mutual funds, so there are management expense ratios. So that is uh, basically a fee that you're paying the portfolio manager for, for doing the research. Obviously, nobody's going to work for free. So uh, these people are well-trained and educated, and they're going to choose good investments for you. So you're going to have to pay them something to help you do all that research. And normally, the management expense ratio is somewhere between 2 to 4% um, for a mutual fund. Yeah? But it doesn't uh, 2 to 4% of what? Of your investment. <coughs> so um, $1,000, you're paying maybe so not a, so book value, not not the it's the market value. Also market value, so it could go down to five hundred or two to four percent of the five hundred. Yeah. You guys know what that means? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. not they're not gonna charge you two to four percent at a thousand. 
you want to try to do a four percent of whatever is today. Mm -hmm. Every year. You're, you're, yeah, every year. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, you know, people have to do the research. There's also people who do the administration. There's also a small percentage may go to the person who sells it to you too, right? Because that's their job. Um, so this, of course, will affect the performance of your investment. So if on your statement you get back and you're saying that it, it says that you've made 8% this year, well, the actual return was actually probably 10, 10.5%, but that 2% would have been taken off to pay for those people who do the research. Mm -hmm. So that's how it works. Um, and then, so that's that. And then there is also the potential for poor management. So if your portfolio manager really sucked and they choose <laughs> chose like really sucky stuff, well, your portfolio is going to go down too. So that is a, that is a potential for risk. And, and then also if you are um, holding the mutual fund um, outside of an RSP or tax rate, then there's going to be tax consequences too because the trades that they make will trigger like capital gains or interest income in the case of bonds or dividend income. And so those will get passed on to you, the investor, and you have to report that on your taxes. So yeah, so if you're investing within an RSP <coughs> tax-free, you don't need to worry about that. And lastly, mutual funds are not really suitable for <coughs> short-term investments because if you uh, don't know about 9-11, when pretty much the market totally crashed uh, significantly for, all, for pretty much everybody, like the whole world economy kind of just, all the stock markets just plummeted. Well, it took a few years for everybody to recover. So, um, yeah, so that's why it's not really good for short term. So you need to choose reputable um, fund companies and you also need to choose trusted advisors to help you determine the right investment. So when you go in and talk to a financial professional, they're going to ask you some questions to determine your risk tolerance, your time horizon, um, your investment knowledge, and your goals. And then from there, they're going to come up with a suitable recommendation for you. Okay, so you'll be able to set up regular contributions like the 100 or 200 bucks per paycheck, or you can also do a lump sum every year. Okay. Um, so back to uh, investing for the medium term, um, something like three to five years, you'd like you'd most likely be putting your investment into something that has more bond component than stocks just so that it'll be a little bit more conservative when you take it out. Yes. Yeah. Um, and in general, so be somewhere between like 40 to 100% in bonds and maybe uh, 0 to 60% in stocks in this three to five year range. And that would be considered a low to medium risk portfolio. And then there's also long-term goals. So anywhere from five to 10 years or even much longer than that, um, obviously things like saving for a child's education or retirement planning, those would fall into the category of long-term um, time horizon type, type goals, right? So because of this longer time frame, then you're able to take on more risk because um, you got a longer time, time for it to go up and down because um, for mutual funds, there's volatility is going to go like, you know, this, like, you know, some dips, but eventually it'll go higher, right? So um, those, so for those goals, I would recommend then putting it into something that has a little bit more stock component, probably maybe 60% to 100% stocks, and um, zero to 40% in bonds. So it really depends on how you answer the questionnaire with your advisor. Um, some people will be a little bit more averse to risk and would prefer the little bit more conservative portfolio and some of you may be okay with risk and may just do 100% stock type <coughs> portfolio. So that's fine. So there are many types of investment programs that the Canadian government has put in place um, and these all give us some perks uh, for tax savings and government grants. So. Uh, for saving for a child's education, um, you can save uh, in, into a, a registered education savings plan or an RDSP. Have you guys heard of that? Did your parents help you invest into that? Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's smart because when you put money into this plan, 
you get a 20% government grant for, for your child's education. Um, so if you put in $1,000, you're going to get $200 into this plan from the government. So that's a 20% guaranteed return that pretty much no investment will ever give you that kind of return. Plus, you're going to um, also invest it too. So you're going to get gains on top of this 20%, right? So you can put um, your RESP into savings, term deposits, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, anything that you want, or a mixture of these things. Okay. So this is probably not quite relevant for any of you yet, but at some point in your life, it will probably be something that you invest in. Yeah. So um, your your parents your parents can invest for your siblings, even if they want to help invest for your kids. It doesn't have to be just the parents. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Annabelle's grandpa actually helps uh, Annabelle put a hundred bucks every month into this RESP for her, so that's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> Do you okay. need to have a have a child to to have this? Yes, <laughs> they need to have a social insurance number. Yeah. And when yeah. you guys have a baby, um, actually, it's actually even the hospital they give you a package that um, will give you everything, and you can just apply for the social insurance number and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Fortunately, you can take a kid. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> when the time comes. My child, child. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> 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 that was Johnny Lamb. So there's like a $50,000 contribution room per beneficiary, okay? Uh, like most of us would probably wouldn't be able to uh, get, you know, contribute that much. But, anyways, that is a limit. And the maximum that the government will give is. Uh, $7,200 per beneficiary, and the maximum grant per year is 500 I mean, if you didn't contribute the year before, then they'd actually give you 1000 and that's pretty much it, but definitely a good, good way to save for your kids' education. This is also a tax-free savings plan? Yeah, so anything that is earned within the plan, it doesn't get taxed. So okay. when your kid goes to school, pretty much um, they're going to be in a low-income bracket, then all the gains that you have gotten and stuff like that would be kind of considered income in their hands. And then uh, the principal will not be considered income, just the gains. Yeah. And then they would get taxed. But if they're not making any money or they just got a summer job or whatever, then most likely they're not going to pay much out. But this is given that my kid may made it to post-secondary, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so you can uh, do a family plan. So if you have, um, are planning to have multiple kids, if the first child doesn't go to university, the second child could take it all. Mm. Yeah. So what happens to the main kids? Nobody, nobody, nobody If the parents have room in your R RSPs, I believe you can transfer um, the principal amount. I'm not sure about the gains, and the grants probably have to be given back. Yeah, and That's why they give us so much pressure <laughs> to get to university. That's <laughs> why. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's a list of post-secondary uh, institutions, and not just UBC or SSU. They can actually go abroad too. So it's not a Chinese and thing. And <laughs> like CIT or like Thanks, government. <laughs> not just. It's a CIA thing. Yeah, I think they can go to any trade school. Yeah. So mm -hmm. not just in any university. They can yeah. go to colleges. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. So. Another one that you guys probably have heard about is the tax-free savings account. Uh, this started in 2009. Um, so basically, if you are a permanent resident uh, or a Canadian citizen at the age of majority, you can set up this type of plan. So whatever gains you make on this account does not get taxed. There's a yearly contribution that we can put in. Um, so the government started this again in 2009, and for a couple of years, the limit was 5,000. Then it came, went up to 5,500, and then in one year, the Liberal government decided, oh, we're going to give you a $10,000 limit, and then now it's back to 5,500. So if you have never contributed to this plan, and you were 19 or, or older uh, in, in 2009, your your limit would be 57,500 this year. So um, as an example of the tax savings, so if you invested 
for example, $50,000 into a non-registered account, so something that's not a TFSA or an RSP, and you made a gain of $3,000 this year, well, you would have to add this $3,000 to your income for the year and then get taxed on it. But with the tax-free savings account, you don't need to pay tax on the $3,000. You don't even really need to report. The CRA will know when you make a contribution, um, your financial institution will let the CRA know, but they're a little behind. So when you get your notice of assessment in the mail and it tells you you have this big limit, well, if you invested in the beginning of the year, they won't know that and it wouldn't be reflected on your NOA yet. So you should really keep track of how much you put into it so you know you're not going over the limit because otherwise, if you go over the limit, you get taxed, a penalty tax of 1% per month. So we don't want to do that. Um, so, um, yeah, and you are al allowed to take money out of your, your, your TFSA. So the amount that you take out of your TFSA, you, can, um, you won't be able to put it back in the same year. You can put it back in the following year. But if you didn't max out of your TFSA, then obviously any room that you have left, you can still contribute during the year. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. So again, with tax-free savings account, you can also invest into any sort of investment vehicle, savings, terms, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, anything like that. And it is good for um, emergency savings, medium term or long term. So anything really um, you can use the tax free savings for, except for maybe very short term things like a vacation. I probably wouldn't be putting money into vacation unless you're saving for like Europe and it's going to take you two or three years to save up and maybe a tax free. But if it's going to be this year, probably wouldn't bother with the tax free account. Okay, so. This is the thing that is um, happening right now is our RSPs. This is the RSP season. So this is a, another plan that the government has given us. Um, it's generally used for your retirement, but you can also make withdrawals for your first home purchase as well as for um, lifelong learning plan. So if you're taking a uh, university part-time or full-time for you or your spouse, you can also make withdrawals for that out of your RSP. So any money that you put into your RRSP gives you a tax deduction on your income. So for example, if you made $50,000 last year and you put $5,000 into an RRSP, you'll get taxed on $45,000 instead of the $50,000. So you're going to have um, less taxes to pay, right? So, um, yeah, so, yeah, here's, here's um, my little illustration. So 50,000, you're going to be paying taxes on the 45,000. Um, and then you have to pay, uh, sorry, approximately 6,803 in taxes owing. But if you didn't put money into an RRSP and you had the 50,000, you get taxed in the full 50000 so you'd have approximately 8197 in taxes on it. So you see the difference here that you made about $1,400 worth of savings for, for putting that money into the RRSP. So, um, so the idea is really to not take this money out until you retire uh, because you'll most likely be earning less income when you retire than when you're working um, during your younger years, right? So so basically, yeah, you're deferring your income taxes when you are uh, using an RSP. So say now another example is say if when you're working, your income say is 60,000, your taxes is approximately 11,000 per year. That equates to 18%. But then when you're retired, your CPP and old age security, um, if they still have it then when you retire, it's <laughs> probably about 20000 okay? Um, so if you have money in your RSPs and you withdraw, say, $10,000 from your RRSP for your, you know, your expenses and stuff like that, your total income is 30000 and your taxes is probably going to be about 3500 So your overall tax um, rate is at 12%. So you, you can see how 
this benefits you if you're putting your money in um, and, and your income is lower when you retire. Right? Okay. So uh, there is a limit for your RSP contribution. Does anybody know what the limit is? No? It's 18% of your earned income in the previous year. So earned income is defined as Canadian salaries or bonuses, commissions, net business or self-employment income, net rental income from real property, taxable spousal and child support payments uh, received, royalties from published work or invention, allocations from employee profit sharing plan, supplemental unemployment benefits but not EI benefits, research grants, disability payments received under the CPP or QPP. Okay. So, yeah, so if you don't contribute the 18%, that gets carried over. So for people who have never contributed to your RSP and you've been working, you probably have quite a big limit to contribute to your RSPs. Um, so you can use that, you can always use that in a big, like if you had a really good income source, say for example somebody's self-employed, they made like a huge amount of income, in the year, you can use up that pool if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, those RSPs you can put into any investments you want: uh, savings, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, mm -hmm. anything. Oh, sorry. So there's the all the different types of earned income. So and not not capital gains then. Not capital gains. Not like earned income is not. No, it's not. No. Okay, and then there are some special programs for RSP. So the first-time home buyer plan. So if you've never owned any home for your principal residence, um, you can use that. You can use uh, withdraw up to twenty-five thousand dollars from your RRSP towards your first principal residence. Um, that's assuming you have the twenty-five thousand. If you don't have it, sorry, you can't use it. And then you have to repay that back. One fifteenth every year starting in the second year after your purchase. Okay, so you do have to pay it back because if you don't pay it back, it gets included in your income for the year and then you get taxed on it. Uh, and then also there is a lifelong learning plan and that you can withdraw up to $20,000 for you or your spouse's post-secondary education and that can get, that needs to be repaid uh, within 10 years starting the fifth year after your first withdrawal. Okay. So, I talk about retirement planning because uh, the government, you can't really count on the government to really help fund your your entire retirement. Like I said, like you're probably going to be making $20,000 a year, even if you've got maximum CPP and old age security. So, really, you can really survive with $20,000 worth of income per year. Pretty unlikely in Vancouver, right? So, even if your home is paid for, there's still property taxes, there might be strata fees, there's strata um, insurance, and then there's regular utility bills, there's food, there's medical expenses when you're older, right? So, transportation, like so many things, right? So, plus you might want to do some traveling, you might have some hobbies, right? So, it's expensive when you retire too, right? So. I had read that nearly half of retired Canadians were forced to retire earlier than they had planned um, because of circumstances beyond their control. So oftentimes, uh, people actually get sick before age 65 and they can't really work. So in those situations, like retirement comes much earlier than you expect, right? So that's why it's really, um, really important that you start savings for your retirement early because the earlier, earlier you start, the better it is. Um, so, yeah, because that, that investment will, uh, will grow over time. So, um, yeah, and then so for RSPs, you can contribute, so say 2017 year, you can contribute any time during 2017 towards your RSP or in the first 60 days of the next year. So this year, 2018, March 1st would be 60 days, so you can contribute into your RSPs until March 1st for your uh, taxes in 2017. So, some of us might be lucky if we have a pension plan through work, um, 
So if you're working for the government, you guys have a defined ben pen uh, defined benefit plan, pension plan. So those ones, um, basically, the company or the government pays to your pension plan on your behalf every year, so you don't have to pay anything, right? No, it's so de deducted from my paycheck. Oh, you do. Yeah. Oh, it might have right. changed for some certain sectors then, perhaps. You might have a defined contribution plan. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So there's defined benefit pension plans uh, where you don't have to uh, you don't have to contribute, and basically it's up to that company or the government to uh, give you a certain amount per month when you retire, and that amount is basically uh, dependent on maybe the last few years of your working career or, and also the amount of time that you were in that um, company or government. Um, so that's definitely the best plan because you don't need to worry about it. You are guaranteed a certain amount of, of retirement. And then there's also the, the defined uh, contribution plan where your company will contribute a certain amount and you will contribute a certain amount. So I guess it sounds like the nurses have change over to this plan? Even us too, actually. Oh, really? Define, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not really sure how of all the governments have changed or maybe certain mm -hmm. sectors have changed. Um, so it's very, very rare to find a defined benefit plan these days. Mm -hmm. but, so defined contribution plan is still better than nothing at all, right? Because you, you get this lump sum of money and it's either the company chooses uh, an invest investment portfolio for you or you choose. They might give you like a, a few different choices and you choose how to invest it and basically whatever investment you choose whatever ends up at the end is what you get and you get a monthly amount based on that whatever you chose so if you uh, chose a really good one you might have a really good pension in the end if for some reason you chose a bad one well you're going to have a small amount every month when you retire so that's the defined contribution plan and then there's also group RRSP so it's kind of similar to the defined contribution um, where the, the um, company will um, put some in and you match, or they will match what you put in, and then basically you choose the investment and whatever whatever happens is whatever you get in your RSPs. Um, so so with pension plans, um, they don't con are, it's not considered a deduction of your income. So it's not like an RSP where if you put the five thousand in, it takes off five thousand from your income. It doesn't do that but it eats into your RSP contribution room. So that pension plan does eat up your room. Um, but if you've got a pension plan, it's, it's, it's pretty good. So, so you don't need to worry about that, but you do, if you do have, do have a con defined contribution plan or a group RSP plan, you might want to consider putting a little bit of extra into your own RSP savings or, or tax-free savings account for your retirement. Um, Okay, so yeah, so the earlier you start putting in money into your um, retirement, the better. So I have an example here of a 25-year-old who saves $5,000 a year for 10 years. At age 60, he will have about 615000 Of course, we're assuming a, an annual compounded return of 8%. Okay, so that, that's a you know, pretty, pretty high return. And then somebody who's 35 years old, saving $5,000 a year for 25 years, at age 60, he will have 431,000 saved at the same 8% annual compound return. So you can see here, this guy saved $50,000, and this guy saved, what, $125,000? But he came out with less money in the end and he came up with more because of the compounding that happens when you're younger. Mm -hmm. It just really um, makes a lot more when you start early because of the, of the time factor. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's why I say start saving for your retirement as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. So I know I've talked mainly about mutual funds as an and I think it's probably the most relevant for most of us because we don't probably have lots and lots of money to put into different stocks and bonds and stuff like that. But there are other investment vehicles. I just wanted to make things simple for you guys. So, um, yeah, and, and just relevant for you guys. Um, so we've, a, we've covered quite a lot of information today and it might seem kind of overwhelming that we have so many expenses to pay for 
and that, yeah, there's so many things to save for as well, right? Um, so and my advice is to look at your budget and see where you can trim down on your discretionary expenses and make sure we're not spending too much on those things. Um, determine how much you need to save for all the different goals in your life and then talk to a trusted investment professional as to how to invest for these goals. So bear in mind that you should revisit your goals maybe once a year or so um, and and also revisit your savings investments and stuff like that, see how you're doing. And then of course, it, things may change when you get married or when you have kids. Those things do change and you might want to revisit those goals again at that time. So when we think about savings investment, we need to be careful that we don't get into the trap of these get-rich-quick schemes, right? Like Bitcoin, we talked about like how it went up maybe like 40% in one day, but also comes down like so quickly too, right? Um, uh, yeah, there are a lot of people who made a lot of money from that, uh, but um, yeah, change is very, very, very drastically over a few days, and it's just too risky, right? So we as Christians, we really need to examine our motives. Um, if we ever think of investing in something like this, or are we are we investing in certain investment vehicles because we're we're, we're just plain greedy? We have to really examine our own motives. Um, so remember that God wants us to work hard and have an attitude of excellence. So I hope that when you're planning for your finances, that you choose investment vehicles that you feel at peace with. Um, so when you meet your financial professional. Find out as much as you can about the funds that you're going to invest in. Um, they should be giving you a fund fact sheet. So it will have lots of different things on it and it'll tell you about the top 10 holdings of the fund. So you might want to just look through those and see if there are any companies on there that you might think might, might compromise your moral uh, values and you might not want to invest in those kinds of funds. Um, so yeah, try to, you know, try and find out as much as possible. It's going to be impossible to find out everything about every fund. There's no way you can find out exactly everything that's in the fund because it's always changing. So don't need to be hung up about those things. But, you know, you, you don't want to be completely ignorant of what you're investing in either, right? So the important thing is, is to examine our motives in whatever we do and make sure it aligns with God's. When we honor money, or when we honor God with our money, when our motive is to be wise stewards of our finances and loving our neighbors without being a burden to them. And we're working hard uh, and having an attitude of excellence. And when we give generously to God's work and to those in need, I do trust that God will provide for all of your needs. So uh, that really concludes what I wanted to say today. Uh, did you guys have any questions? Do you have a suggestion as to um, how much I should put aside as a budget for RSP? So really, um, probably on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay. So I can talk about it afterwards if you want. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think in general, like if you're making at least 45000 or more, I would say you probably should put some money into RSPs. Okay. And then in the case of people with pension plans, you might not have to so much in. The reason why I say this is because you want to also look at um, how much are you plan are you expected to get when you retire and I don't know with the fine contribution plans if they give you any sort of a projection on your statements when you get your pension statement every year. Because um, if they do, if they say okay I'm gonna, you're going to get like $3,000 every month, something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't want to make a whole lot more. You don't want to put too much, take too much more otherwise you might, you might end up so people with like really good pensions I actually say you can put a little bit into RSPs but actually if you've got um, some room put, put some into your tax free savings accounts actually. What would you what would your view be on like the idea that oh we put more in your RSP this year so that your income is less so that when you do your taxes then you don't owe the government any money? That's fine, as long as later on, yeah. when you retire, that you're not in the same income bracket as when you are now. 
because that really defeats the purpose. <laughs> 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 like, you're you're like $25,000 now, and then you retire, and you're all done. There's really no point. You're paying the taxes later. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah, but I mean, I, I try and maximize my RSP every year. Unfortunately for us, we have a bonus every year. Well, if we, if we do well. You say unfortunately? No, <laughs> no and fortunately. Okay. We, we do get a bonus, and I, I tend to put my bonus into the RSP, mm -hmm. so, so it just helps with my retirement savings. Um, and I do happen to have a defined benefit pension plan at work, too. But because um, the thing is, if I don't and I take that cash, that bonus is cash, I get taxed big time on it. So there's no point in doing that. And I know that I'm, I'm still going to make a lower income at retirement than when, I, than when I'm working again. So it still makes sense for me to do that. And it probably makes sense for most of us to do that too. How much would you say, like, um, like what percentage of our like net income do you think uh, would, is like a good amount, like a good mark for how much we should contribute to savings every month? So uh, you want to make a budget of what you're saving for, right? So any so short-term savings is one category, and the medium-term and the long-term. So you just want to. So it just depends on what the end goal is, how much you're planning to, to like, say, retire on. So we have this, um, if you're talking about retirement, uh, we have this little chart at work from a, a fund company, and it says that if you want to retire and, um, you know, have about, like, forty dollars to $50,000 cash flow at retirement, you probably need to save about a million dollars before you retire. That's a lot of money, mm -hmm. and a lot of people won't be able to do that, but, hey, if you started early, you guys are pretty much in your 20s or early 30s, you might be able to get there. And that's assuming that you're not getting any pension income at that time. So so if you're going to have some pension income, you're not going to need a million dollars to retire on. So you're going to have to kind of work backwards. What's the end goal and how much um, projected uh, compound return I'm going to get? And then from there, you can try and figure out an amount you need to save every year. So you have to talk to a financial professional to do that. Um, they're linked to just individuals, right? They're yes. Like, it matter of your spouse. Okay, so, yeah, so each person has their own individual RRSP limit, mm -hmm. so you would contribute to that, and say, for example, if Angela has um, a pension plan and you don't, she could choose to open up, you guys can open up a spousal RRSP in your name, she'd be the contributor, and she can contribute. This will deduct from her RSP limit and put money into yours. So in retirement, if she's getting like 30,000 in her pension income and you have nothing, then you can draw to the RSP and you can take 30,000 out of your RSP every year. And that way, um, you guys kind of have the same amount of income. Does that make sense? Oh, but through kind the of maximize time. the... Yeah, uh, so you're not like, she's, she's not getting like a $50,000 <laughs> income and you get nothing. <laughs> Because <laughs> 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 then the tax bracket will put you put Angela into a higher tax bracket. Right. Uh, but I, I know that there's also income splitting rules and that, that kind of thing now too. So I don't know if the spells of RSP is as as um, important now. Although I, I did open one up for John recently like last year because he doesn't have any plans at all because obviously he's a pastor and um, so. So now I'm dumping my bonus into the spousal RSP going on. What are your views on, like, aside from RSPs, I guess, but from like, what it was called, um, like life insurance and disability yeah, insurance? Yes, so there's definitely, um, it, it's very important, especially when you have it will be important to have it. So, because um, the thing is, is that you want to make sure that your kids are taken care of should you pass away or your spouse pass, passes away. Um, like most of us will have big fat mortgages to pay. Well, if one spouse passes away, then that other remaining spouse will have to make sure that the kids are taken care of and pay the mortgage and pay for everything else. It's just 
really a big, huge burden. Mm -hmm. So I totally think that life insurance is something that is necessary, especially when you're, you have a family or if you're single, but you want to leave like money to your parents or your really significant. Yeah. And disability insurance is definitely also uh, something that is good to have too, and a lot of companies have that, which is great. Um, because if you were off work and you had a mortgage to pay and you didn't have any insurance, well, then how are you going to make your mortgage payments and how are you going to survive, right? And also, if you have like, like you have to get a wheelchair or something, or you have to like um, do renovations to your home because now you're, you're like bedridden or whatever, you've got lots of medical issues. You need money for those things, and you need an income to do that, and disability insurance is going to help you do that. So I, I am a believer in insurance. Um, it's something that I feel is a responsible thing to do, to have, especially when you have a family, or if you're married even, and you have a mortgage to pay, like significant expenses to pay, you don't want to leave your spouse like, like, oh, now you have to sell the house because you're dead now. So when you sell, if you sell your principal residence, is that a, the money you make? Is that a capital gain? No, if it's a principal residence, it's not. Okay. If it's a rental property, then yes. Yeah. Mm. What's capital gains? Okay, so basically, if we bought our place for three hundred thousand dollars, and when you retired and you sold it, you wanted to downsize, for example, mm -hmm. you sold it for a million dollars. That's $700,000 difference is the gain that we have made on it. Mm -hmm. If that's my principal residence, I don't have to pay tax on it. But if I bought this as a rental property, um, uh, then that $700,000, you'd have to pay taxes on it. Mm -hmm. So capital gains tax, capital gains, you only actually need to um, pay 50% 50 of that. So that $350,000 would be attributed to your income from the year. So that's significant. Wow. That's a huge amount of income. Here, and uh, you're going to be paying lots of taxes on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how? Oh, maybe it's a question for like, it's like, uh, how? What qualifies as a principal residence? How long do you have to live there? Mm, I believe it's one year, and and I mean, truly, it has to be something that you actually do live in. Like your bills need to come in your name that place. I mean, it's rare for people to declare two principal residence, and I don't even know if. Um, the Canadian government really allows that. I'm not really sure, actually. Um, you'd have to talk to an accountant for that. But I mean, most of us probably not have that situation anyway. Well, you could always move. <laughs> right? What? You could always move. Yeah, like if you go to Mexico, it would be different yeah. rules, right? But that's just based on like your primary residence, or is it just saying like your first ever home? Or it's just no, it's just your primary, your primary residence. Primary. So your primary residence is exempt from capital gains tax here in Canada. Um, I'm not sure if there are other countries that may tax you on your principal <coughs> residence, but not in Canada right now. You want to talk about dividends? Dividends? So if you're buying a stock that has that has dividends to pay out for you, so basically you're basically they're giving you a share of the profits. Big banks, they all have dividends, so they pay you some small amount every uh, quarter. Um, if it's held outside of an RSP or tax free savings, um, you will get an income slip from your financial institution and you do have to pay taxes on that. There is a preferential treatment for income taxes, so it's not taxed at 100%. So if you made $500, you're not getting taxed on the full $500, it'll be a certain percentage because um, it's preferred treatment. So that um, dividend income is better treatment than uh, interest income, which is 100%. So anything, anytime you put your money into term deposits, GIC, bonds, that's interest income, you get taxed on that 100%. And then capital gains is like 50%. But you don't get dividends in mutual funds, right? Yes, you, you can. Oh. So it depends on what kind of mutual funds you buy. Um, you, may get, you may get dividend income in those. I mean, sometimes you may invest into, uh, say, a monthly income fund or something like that. That may be dividend income, maybe from preferred shares or common shares. Um, yeah, you, you may you may get dividend income on some mutual funds. Which ones? 
better tax treatment. Yeah, that's outside <laughs> of an RSP. Yeah, that's true. A lot of people will invest into their RSP or tax free savings, so there, there wouldn't be any tax consequences. But are stocks shares? Yes. Oh, so so the returns on stocks are dividends. Yeah, it can. If if big companies may give you a dividend, oh, some okay. smaller companies may not. Stock is a share of a company, and then if it goes up, then on the uh, like let's say it went up by fifty bucks from fifty to hundred, your your value what oh. do you call it a book? No, not book. What's the present value? Oh, you're just making money on the value of the share. Yeah, exactly. Not 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 actually sharing profit. With the no, you're not. Yes. The dividend is the share of the profit. Right. Well, so if yeah, if a company decides to give you that, like um, there are dividend paying companies that. A lot of people like to invest in, like the banks, um, uh, utility companies, like, and, uh, <coughs> like telecommunications, like VCT or Rogers or Telus, those have um, dividends. So it's good to invest in those kinds of companies. And what's the name of those funds, usually? What's the common name for the banks to use for mutual funds like that? I think, like they're blue chip, blue chip equity funds. No, like oh. income growth funds, or um, what do you well, call those? Banks would be in a lot of different funds, so it could be in balanced funds, it could be in growth funds. Right. Because like the high, what is it, the highly <coughs> aggressive ones are called growth funds. Yeah, the highly yeah. aggressive ones are probably more into more riskier yeah. companies, like companies that are smaller, but they will uh, say, 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 like BlackBerry, for example, um, was really big before. It was called Research in Motion, and it was like really good company back then and then now it's kind of gone down quite significantly but it could be it could it could grow quite significantly if they have really good products and that would be considered a growth fund or like apple i think apple will still be considered yeah. growth do you have a sample of a questionnaire no not of what these guys would encounter not on me yeah yeah it's just that like um you just have to be careful the lingo that you're the whoever financial institution is trying to sell you the mutual fund. It's because like uh, you know, like Rosanna said, there's like aggressive funds and then there's but there's certain lingo for that to sell it to you, right? It's like growth funds, right? So or aggressive growth, right? Those ones are the ones that are the small stock small companies that have potential to grow. Sort of like Facebook was back then. Facebook would be qualified back then, like ten years ago, would be actually in the aggressive growth fund. Sure. But now they're called the blue chip because they're so freaking big, right? So they're like the, do they give dividends? I don't even know. Yeah, so like uh, you just gotta remember, like you gotta like not just look at the name, but you have to look at what it really entails. Like, you know, right? Small cap growth, is that what you could usually call? So small cap growth for um, lesser known companies will have a big potential to grow, possibly. Don't have as uh, big size as the big companies, so those ones are more riskier mm -hmm. than blue chip companies. And it takes a lot longer to right yeah. realize the potential. Okay. Yeah. Anything else? I'm a risk averse guy, so that's he why is. it's like I don't go after small cap. <laughs> but then, if you guys are young, and then uh, you have like, you might want to go with the small cap because a portfolio manager, you won't see the companies that you're investing in small cap. So the company might belly flop, but your chances are your portfolio manager probably already sold it, right? At whatever. Yeah, whatever they could salvage, right? And then they'll move it instantly to another one without even you knowing. Okay, right? so just don't don't listen to Jonathan because he doesn't know. I know. I just want to edge you on it all the time because I just no. I don't. That. I actually don't recommend you guys putting your money into aggressive funds. If you if you really like are just starting out, invest into something like a balanced fund because like it'll probably be like half and half, half in stocks, half in bonds. It'll give you that growth that you need. And just start there mm. or remain conservative funds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hyper conservative. I'm the guy who puts his money under the pillow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the yes, before we got married, Jonathan was a GIC kind of person. Guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> no risk. 
<laughs> no risk. At least you get your principal back. Mm. Yeah. Right? That's what I always thought. Right? Yeah. Is it possible to lose more than your principal? Like, no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and in not just GIC. with GSE. Not with GSE. Not with, with, not with GSE. Oh. But like in a mutual fund, you can. Yes. You lose more than your principal. Um, so you can lose all of your principal, and then you might have to pay out. Oh no no no! So so if you put ten thousand dollars in, yeah. uh, and it went up down to zero, then oh that's it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're like, you're a big thing. So if you saw it go down, can you go back to your financial advisor and like either switch? Switch yes. it or oh yeah, yeah you can switch it, and that's why every year you should meet with your <laughs> financial professional yeah. because and give them an earful <laughs> and then look at the statements and ask them questions and, and why are they charging you MERs? They'll probably reassess your risk and all that stuff, and then maybe you need to change things around. And if you're feeling really uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you can switch things to a more conservative fund for you. Mm -hmm. So definitely, you should try and see them once a year. And also educate yourself, right? Like read up on these things. Like, um, like there's tons of material now online. And then um, each financial institution has a different provider of mutual funds, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you know, like uh, like the financial institution really is just a broker, like that. But like if you go to a major bank, well, TD is going to sell you TD funds. Royal Bank is going to sell you Royal Bank funds. Um, at our credit union, we sell different funds. Um, right now, we are. Partnership with EGF and NEI. I don't know if you've heard of any of those, but NEI has a brand that is socially responsible investment. So they're not going to invest into companies that um, make uh, weapons or uh, mm. tobacco products and that kind of thing. And that's something that we would want to consider for Christians. We probably don't want to invest into weapons or tobacco or stuff and like marijuana. The rep came talked to us this past week and I said, well, so I guess you guys aren't going to invest into marijuana stocks, right? And he's like, well, definitely not the recreational ones, but um, they may consider medical marijuana stocks, but right now those are not regulated at the moment. So it's really, you can't even get a financial statement. So obviously it's not going to take, it's going to be a while before they even consider that. So yeah. So I guess like a good Christian approach to mutual funds is to study it. Yeah, to as be much active. as you can, but yeah. like I said, it's impossible to know exactly no. everything. Like I don't even know it's exactly the fund. Ethical funds still exist. Yeah. 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 yeah, ethical funds. It's part of the NEI brand. NEI brand. Is there a really good place to start to look for this kind of information? Mm -hmm. just right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, although my, my, my company decided that all the assistant branch managers and the branch managers are not getting I can't sell you the fund, but um, we can talk about it, and we can get somebody else to sell you the fund. But we would go through a questionnaire, and we're not as tricky as lingo that you wouldn't understand. It would be very understandable. And, um, and credit unions, I have to say, for my credit union, we're quite conservative in our um, portfolio. So we're not going to put you into something like high tech or something like that, because like, we don't want to put you into anything super. Especially if your heart can't take it. Well, a lot of people lost a lot of money way back, and when you guys were probably ten years old, um, in the high IT sector like Mortel and like uh, those big um, high tech companies that was a big bubble, and at the end of the day, it crashed, and everybody lost lots of money. Well, a lot of people lost a lot of money in that at that time, and now they're scared of mutual funds completely because somebody put them into like technology funds and it totally crashed them. So we don't recommend that. We don't recommend just putting all your money into one sector. That's mm -hmm. super risky. What's a hedged fund? A hedged fund? Oh <laughs> testing my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's there's different types. So so for simplicity's sake, like a um, foreign exchange hedged fund. So they may uh, buy it at um, a certain exchange rate. Do you know how to explain this? I, I can't. Oh, right. So it's related with a uh, currency. Mm -hmm. like currency, yes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. It's to manage risk. Yeah. It's like a, a hedge is like managing risk. Yes. Okay. So you got like uh, so there's like a pool of ex like foreign exchanges, a pool of ex you know, currencies, mm -hmm. and then uh, this portfolio manager would go, okay, 
what would give me the best return, but what would actually like help me to manage my risk of going into that? Yeah. What other currency can hedge it? it? You know, like to protect me from that, like a massive downfall, but I could still come out ahead. Yeah. And then there's also fancy types of investments. Not so now we're not, not talking about foreign risk, a foreign exchange risk. I should say it could be also risks against our own company. So there's um, investments called calls and put options. So you're basically instead of thinking or uh, expecting for a stock to come up, it, you're expecting for it to come down. Yeah. Betting against us. So that's mm -hmm. a hedging type of like, way to invest. It's really complicated that I don't really do it myself because it's just too complicated for. People who have like, a small amount of money probably don't really need to do that. Yeah, you need a, a large amount of money. Because some portfolios, they, they mentioned that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you need yeah. a lot of money and to maybe, do it. Maybe for currency risk. Right, I think, it, I think it's something because it was like a US, yeah. Yeah. American or something. Yeah, yeah. Or something. Yeah. The, the whole idea of the hedge manager is to make as much money as fast as they can, with the, but then try to protect himself from risk if it went down. So then he's like trying to always balance two books at the same time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yet you call it a fund because you don't see it. You don't see the activity. So you yourself as a consumer would just see it as a fund. But the hedge manager would see it as two books going ahead of each other. It's complicated. Right. Because then they manage the risk of currency and the risk yeah. of the company. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Hope you guys learned lots and apply some of this. You guys are so young.